0: Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inward are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You, who practice lawlessness. Thank you, Doc. Good morning. Good morning.
1: This morning's lesson is entitled, Calling on the Name of the Lord. The thrust of the lesson will come out of Romans chapter 10. If you want to go there, that would be fine. And then Mark, uh, Joel chapter 2 will be over in Joel in just a few minutes. <coughs> Joel chapter 2 and then Romans chapter 10. In our society today, it is probably a more common rule than not to do all that we can do by taking the shortcut, taking the easy route. That could be laziness, it could be more economical, or it could be multiple multiple reasons why we might want to take the shortcut or the easy way around. But we've all kind of heard this saying. I was raised on idioms, and one of those was, if you're going to do something right, do it right the first time. In many ways, perhaps, it is simply human nature not to take the time to do something right the first time. It could also be the simple thing of lack of knowledge. I don't know how many employers would just love it if their employees actually did their job right and correctly the first time. How much money would they be able to save and pass on in and, and other ways and benefits or whatever. You know, I recall when I was working at Cessna Aircraft, there was always seemed like there's always one person that, that I'd always have to go bail out. It was the union steward. And they always wanted to take the shortcut. My main job there was working on the fuel systems of the Citation 104. And to, to put the fuel system together in the plane, you had to follow the blueprint. You had to know the part numbers. You had to follow the print in order to put this together, because if you tried skipping things and you didn't have all the right parts, or maybe the parts just weren't available, your job pretty much come to a standstill. But we always had some guy who always wanted to say, well, I'll skip that, and then I'll come back to that. Well, what happens? Here comes Inspector Kelly, and she says, Gig, can't do that, or your pressure test will fail, there's a number of reasons why the blueprint is laid out the way that it is. I used to argue with the guys, you just can't pull a plane over onto a cloud and fix it. It needs to be put together correctly, and you need to follow the blueprint. How much simpler would life have been for a lot of us? But the problem also is with this, this has trickled into the religious world in our society today. It's all too easy, or maybe it's just laziness, for lack of better words, depending on your view maybe, to stay in bed on Sunday morning, turn on the television, and start watching some church program. And you're sitting there, and you're, and you're listening to it, and you think, wow, man, this guy is, man, he's got a beautiful smile and a really fancy Suit and he looks good, he sounds good, he's got a beautiful wife, and man, he didn't challenge me, but that's okay, I don't like to be challenged, and he sure wasn't controversial in any way, and he smiled the whole time, and he sure sounded good. Well, I couldn't find anything to disagree about. But then, 30, 40, 50 minutes into his program, he'll say something like, Friend... Do you want to be a child of God? And if you do, if you'll say this prayer with me and and put your hand on the TV screen, you can say this prayer and repeat it after me, and you'll become a child of God, which is commonly known as the sinner's prayer. Several times I've been listening to this kind of thing, and I always have to chuckle because one time I heard a guy say, can you feel the power? Man, that has to be static electricity built up in the TV, that just shocked you. Okay. How many people sit and listen to those television programs and never open their Bible to follow along to see if the man's teaching, or in some cases a woman, if they're even teaching truth? Or have they even quoted scripture correctly? You know, I was watching, I admit it, I was watching Jimmy Swagger here a couple weeks ago. And he started saying, you could speak in tongues, you didn't need people laying lay hands on you because... And he quotes some, uh, chapter 2 and a couple of verses, and it has nothing to do with laying on hands and speaking in tongues. It had to do with the fact that God had empowered the apostles to speak in tongues, not the people. Completely out of context. But see, I had read enough chapter 2 of Acts over the years to know that something just really didn't add up. It didn't make sense. So I went to my Bible, I went to my blueprint, and looked and said, hmm, that was a little off. You know, even sitting here this morning, a 20-30 minute sermon is really not enough. You have to want to build your life with Christ. And I sure don't want you following me. I would never intentionally mislead you, but I'm a man. I want you to follow along. That's why I encourage you to open your Bibles. That's why I encourage you to go home and study. We all, at the end of the day, will be responsible to God on our own individual basis of the deeds and the words that we did and said. You will not be able to say, well, some preacher told me. I don't see anywhere that will ever be an excuse on the day of judgment. How can... One, build his or her own spiritual life and not read the blueprint, not read your scripture. How can you claim to be a Christian and that you're growing and you're producing good fruits if you're not reading the Word and you're not in worship services and you're not being the person that you're supposed to be? Leading the home, husbands. Children, obeying their parents. You know, the list could go on and on. fail, when you get talking to somebody and they're watching this television program and you start to point out the fallacy of the sinner's prayer, this is where they're going to take you. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, almost without failure, 99.99 infinity. this is where they're going to go, and this is what they're going to quote. This text, without any doubt, is a very complex text when you allow it to stand all by itself. In reality, chapter 10 of Romans takes some serious study and it takes some prayer to really grab and understand everything that Paul is trying to say here. Just like the Pharisees, they would take one little verse out of context and try to make an application to it. We are guilty today of doing the same thing. I strive, and we all should strive very hard not to do that. And it's easy to do, and sometimes you can do it without even realizing that you've actually done it if you've not sat down and studied. Now, what is Paul really trying to say here? in, in Romans chapter 10, calling on the name of the Lord. Well, I think it's really important for us to understand that Paul is already writing to a church that is saved. The church in Rome is a church that has been teaching, practicing, baptism, by immersion, for the forgiveness of sins. They have been confessing Christ as their Savior. They've been walking by faith, and they're trying to live a righteous life. They're already doing all of those things. But Paul actually, the verse that he uses here originates out of the Old Testament. So we're going to skip around just a little bit here. So bear with me we'll be up on the board here. But in Joel chapter 2, verse 32, it says, And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered for on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. There will be for those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. This is a prophecy given by Joel that has new covenant implications to it. Now hold on to that thought. We're going to go back to Romans chapter 10 here and try to back all this up. And we're going to back up a few verses and start in verse 5. Paul writes, for Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who has ascended into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, verse 7, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we are preaching. Here again, Paul is going back to the Old Testament. And he's pulling this section of Scripture out of Deuteronomy chapter 30, if you're taking notes and you want to go home and read it. But stop and listen here to what Paul is, what he writes here, especially here in verses 5 and 6. He is saying, clear back in the days of Moses, if you wanted to live by the law, you had to keep the entire law. You could not break any rules of the law. You had to obey every letter of the law. If you did, you were guilty. You stood condemned could a man live the entire lifespan and not break the old law? The answer really is yes, because Jesus did it in the flesh. Verse 6 here, Paul goes on to say, Moses uh, would say, you know, your righteousness is based on faith. So the question has to be, How would somebody under the old law live by faith? Well, because, you know, they're living under the Levitical priesthood system, and they would go to the temple, and they would make certain offerings and sacrifices at the temple. And when they would go to the temple, they would offer this uh, sacrifice or offering. They would do it by faith, because they really believed if they were obeying the best that they could that God would forgive them, that they had a covenant relationship with God. Something else here, go home and you can notice this later if you want, but it says, I don't think Paul does this by accident. He uses the words speak, the heart, and say here in verse 6. And then in verse 8, he says Moses is saying that the life and the child of God is not only what you say. It's also a heart issue. Paul simply is trying to tie all this together and he is saying, look, we're teaching nothing new here. It's always been about heart in your faith in God. He's not teaching anything new here. So, let's keep reading here. Uh, Again, in verse 8, says, but what does it say? The word is near you In your mouth and in your heart, that is, that the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not Be disappointed. And so here we go. Paul continues to build his argument here. He is saying a soul who is under the new law must confess and believe in their heart. Here in verse 8. And that all ties the whole argument really together. That God has not changed. He says he cannot change. If he can change, then this is not true and he's a liar. God has always wanted us to live by faith. It's always been about heart and devotion to Him. If God has changed the way we are saved today, then this is worthless and we've wasted our entire life trying to learn it, study it, and live it. And how do I really know if I'm saved or not? I don't believe that's the kind of God that we have. Again, it's always been a hard issue. I mean, look at Abraham. If you study the life of Abraham, and you will find eventually in Scripture that Abraham was justified by faith. We are justified through our faith in Christ. Of course, you've always had to believe in God. I mean, that's a give me. But there's something new here that Paul says under the new law that we must believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we must believe that He died and that He rose from the dead. And Paul says here in verse 9, if you do all of these things, you will be saved. See, all of this is leading up to verse 13. Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, many people will use this section of Scripture and say, Well, Joe, you really kind of missed the boat here because you don't need to be baptized to be saved. Paul has not said anything here about baptism. Well, the truth of the real matter is, if you back up a couple of chapters, in Romans chapter 6, Paul did talk to them about baptism. But they're already practicing baptism. And so, if you're not familiar with Romans 6, I'd encourage you to go home and read it. They already are very much aware of the benefits of baptism. They already understand that that was part of the plan of salvation. Paul doesn't need to beat the baptistry argument with them. They're already doing it. is the fact that he indicates in chapter 6 that he implies about their baptism. There's another person in the New Testament who will use this quote from Joel. And, of course, that would be Peter. Peter would use uh, Joel on the day of Pentecost. In fact, in chapter 2, Peter will quote Joel more uh, than Paul does here in Romans. But we're going to jump over here to Acts chapter uh, 2. Verse 16 uh, says, and here's Peter talking. He says, but this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And you jump down to verse 21. Verse 21. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And after Peter gives his powerful sermon on the day of Pentecost, and he uses all the prophecies of of Joel and out of the Old Testament to prove who the Messiah was and that the Christ would come, what do they do here after they hear this sermon in Acts 2.37? And the crowd says, Now when they heard this, They were pierced to the heart. Some versions say cut to the heart. And it said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Today we might say something along the lines, uh, what means, uh, brother, what shall we do? Come on, Peter, tell me, tell us, how do we call on the name of the Lord? That's really what they're applying here. And Peter tells them very plainly how they're going to call on the name of the Lord in Acts 2.38. Repent, each one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's how you're going to call on the name of the Lord? The question has to be for me, referring back to Paul in Romans, why would Paul teach something different to the church in Rome that he was not taught. He was taught he had to be baptized to, in order to be saved. Why would he turn around and tell people a different avenue on how salvation process took place? It wouldn't make sense. In fact, Peter I mean, excuse me, Paul would say anybody's teaching something different, they're accursed. In the original language, it means they're damned. But over here in Acts 22, verse 16, as Paul is... He's giving a testimony before a court. And he's talking and he's giving the explanation of his conversion. And in Acts twenty-two sixteen 16 says, And now why you delay? This is what uh, the man who came to talk to uh, Saul or Paul to be baptized is get up and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So, how did Paul call on his name? by being baptized. You see, it's there in the baptistry. That's where you come in contact with the blood of Christ. It is the blood of Christ that covers your sin and my sin. Nothing else can wash away my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? That's what we see. And when our sins are covered or when they are forgiven, God tells us once that's happened, he sees them no more. And I don't know about the rest of you, but this is a big thank you, Lord, on my side of the fence. I'm extremely thankful that those sins are covered in God, that He can't sin. Is baptism is all that is needed? No. Remember, going back to Romans chapter 10, Paul told the church, this is an inside thing, in my heart, and it's an outside thing as well. There's a faith thing. You see, when we walk into the baptistry, you are showing a demonstration of faith. You are saying, God, I trust you that you will fulfill your promises to me. Is that not faith? And you're telling everybody around you who's up watching and observing you, that you believe what God has just said. A couple things to think about here. When someone you meet tells you or believes in faith only, and that would mean generally that replies the sinner's prayer, ask them a couple questions. Ask them this do you believe a person must repent? The well, odds are extremely high. They're going to say yes. Of course, you got to repent. Here's the problem: if you're going to hang your hat on Romans 10:13, Paul knows, never uses the word repent in the verse. And if a person's going to be honest with you, they're going to have to admit that they had to go to other places in Scripture to come up with their answer. Yes, you must repent. Is penance required? Of course it is. Okay? As I have studied this term, calling on the name of the Lord, countless times over the years, I I always go back and I want to make sure that I really understand him. I really got a grasp on this terminology. Calling on the name of the Lord everywhere I can find in Scripture always in the Old Testament had everything to do with covenant people. In the New Testament, how do you become a covenant person? It's only in the baptistry. That's how you can call on the name of the Lord. Reserved for those under a covenant. New or old law, there's always been rules how one would come into a relationship with God to have the privilege to call on His name to be saved. You cannot be saved, old or new law, if you're outside of the covenant relationship. It's just not going to happen. As we close, I want us to look at one more verse here in Romans chapter 10. 10.21 says, But as for Israel, he says, All the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. You see, my God hasn't changed. The God of the Bible has never changed. He's the same today as He was yesterday, and He will be the same tomorrow as He is today. He told the prophet Isaiah this. This is a quote out of Isaiah. God has stretched His hands out constantly throughout history. But today, He has stretched His hands out on a cross and died for all of us and shed His blood so that we may have forgiveness of sins. There is a divine longing for all of mankind to be part of His kingdom. Of every race, male or female, rich or poor, God has always desired His creation of mankind to be with Him. That is His desire. And that's why He sent Christ. God has not been lazy or taken any shortcuts in the salvation process. We better not be lazy in our search for Him. God desires us to read the blueprints, to know the scriptures in the plan of salvation when which He has given to all of us. We need to look at the whole picture and not just part of the picture. And we need to do it from God's eyes, not from our eyes. Today, if you're ready to call on the name of the Lord by being immersed into the waters of baptism, we're here to help you do just that. And perhaps you've strayed in your life and your walk with Christ and, and you need help or prayers and encouragement or comfort. We want to help you with that as well. Whatever your needs might be this morning, will you come forward as we stand and as we sing?